Thank you very much for joining us this evening as we do what we call our uh, Saturday night special. We'll be talking in Isaiah chapter 53. This is the night before Easter or the night before Resurrection Sunday. And we're excited about what it means as a Christian, uh, the Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to get started. Before we do, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we're thankful so much for what you've done for us, for all the great many blessings you send our way. Most important, though, Lord, we thank you for your Son who died on the cross for our sins, and we praise him and glorify his name that he rose on the third day, giving us proof that his sacrifice was acceptable to you and also paving the way to redeem all of us so that we too can rise from the dead one day as we celebrate the resurrection in heaven with you. Again, thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. I pray for this Sunday school lesson now as we go through it that you would allow me to say the words that we're in need of hearing. For it's in your name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, I thought about giving an introduction to this uh, lesson, but be quite honest with you, the lesson introduction is, uh, how could you not believe that Jesus was the Savior when his the entire story of what he did was recorded centuries before by Isaiah. Uh, 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 Isaiah recorded in Isaiah chapter 53 the prophecy of the Messiah. And we will show you here in the Messiah, we will show you that what was required here that was spent, that was uh, pro provided to Isaiah and how it aligns to Jesus Christ. And there's no question about it. Jesus was pictured in Isaiah chapter 53. So without any further ado, we're just going to get started. Uh, lots of material to cover. Verse 4 of chapter 53, we will begin with that verse. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Let's look at this verse. A lot of information in this verse. The first part says, Surely, surely, surely. <laughs> that, that means as sure as you could be, as sure as you could be, surely he had bore our griefs. Matthew stated it this way in Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our, our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. See, Matthew knew that the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53 referred to Jesus Christ Himself. Remember, Isaiah wrote the Word of God this is not coming from Isaiah, but coming from God himself. God gave this information to Isaiah, who then prophesied it, shared it with the world. 
So this message here, surely hath more his grief, this message of this passage is coming directly from God. It is a mountaintop experience that we can all clearly see this prophecy came true and is still coming true today. God tells us that the very people who despised him, Jesus, because of his human infirmities, should have instead praised him because of it. The only way he could die in our place is to be in our place. The only way that he could be the Savior of the world was to be a human. But it's impossible for humans who are born in sin to save anyone but themselves. I have a message that talks about that, that, uh, that, that the cost of the blood. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ. Only through the blood that was shed, the perfect, innocent blood of Jesus Christ, could anyone be saved other than hell. Yeah, you can pay the price for your sins, but that means you die and go to hell. The only way you save in heaven is if someone else died in your place who could die in your place and not in their place. So Jesus had to come. And so therefore, this infirmities that he has, this weaknesses that he has, that they wanted to criticize him for being human, was what made him the Savior. Only because of his connection with humanity could he have taken our infirmities himself. For thereby it says himself took our infirmities, bodily diseases. He took our infirmities. That's how we know. The word born or took, in the Hebrew, there's probably the double notion. Uh, He took on himself vicariously. Vicarious means performed or suffered by one person as a substitute for another or to benefit or advantage of another. See, it also is substitutionary. And so he took away our grief. He took our grief away. Our sorrows. Because in death we have sorrow. In weakness we have sorrow. Sin causes us to grieve. But Jesus, because of his sacrifice on the cross, redeeming our sins, he took away our grief. It says not only took away, he's also, he bore our sicknesses. Because he became a human, he was able to be afflicted and to suffer like us. He bore our sicknesses. He understood what it meant to suffer. He understood what it meant to walk, no doubt getting blisters on his feet, feels like, Jesus didn't get blisters. What do you mean? He had to have calluses on his feet like anyone else. He was human. If a splinter got in his finger, he got a splinter in his finger. He didn't miraculously zoom out because he was God. God did not shield him like that. Guess what? When it rained, the rain didn't go around him. He got wet. In wintertime, he had a coat. We know he had a cloak that was made of one piece that they didn't want to tear up. Only when he was crucified. So we know he got cold. See, Jesus was a human being. And as a human being, he needed, he had the same thing. He hungered, the Bible said. He got tired. He wept. He was a human being. 
And therefore he understood our sicknesses and our suffering. Isaiah 63, 9 says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. He understood them because he was them, because he is us. Because of his perfect humanity, he could heal us from our sicknesses and ultimately our greatest sickness, which was sin. Hebrews 4, 5, 4 verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. See, he suffered like we suffer. He experienced life like we experienced life because only through that could he die in our place. The next part of the verse says, and carried our sorrows. Carried is related to carrying a burden. He carried the burden of our sorrows. Sorrows is pains of the mind. People who are sorrow, sorrow have sorrows have a pain in the mind. It's not physical, it's mental. Grief refers to pain in the body. If you have grief, your body hurts. That's the type of grief they refer to there. But now sorrows is a mental thing. It's your emotional sickness. See, Jesus not only took your physical pain, but he understands your mental anguish. One example that we have about uh, the about Jesus bearing our sorrows was that shortest verse in the Bible John eleven thirty five that says Jesus wept. You know, it's the shortest verse in the English Bible. It says Jesus wept. He wept why? Because he looked at the crowd and these people were were sorrowful because Lazarus had died and he felt their grief, their sorrows. He felt their sorrows. And because of that, the Bible says Jesus wept. Now understand, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he could have felt no pain whatsoever about Lazarus because he was going to raise him. He's not dead. He's asleep. I'm going to bring him back. Yet he had sorrow. He wept. Why? Because he empathized. It showed that Jesus had empathy. When we're hurting, he's hurting. So we see it says he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken. Even though Jesus became a man to save us and take upon himself our sin, who knew no sin, we still judged him a sinner himself. This man can't save us because he's a sinner himself. Hold on. That's what makes him, he's human. If he's a human, he's a sinner. Oh, you're wrong. (laughs) Jesus was a perfect human. He was the second Adam He was created, he was born without sin. Adam was created without sin. Everyone after Adam was created with sin, Adam and Eve. After them, everyone else had the burden of sin in their lives. You and I have the sin in our lives. We need a Savior. There's no one out there who doesn't need a Savior today. No matter how great religiously you might think you are, you need a Savior For there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus was different. Jesus was the God-man. He was born of a virgin, instilled with the Holy Spirit, born without a sin nature. Because he was the second Adam. People say, well, he wasn't all human if he didn't have a sin nature. Hold it. 
Adam was all human. Adam was all human, and he did not have a sin nature until he broke the law, until he violated God's one thing he told him not to do, eating of the forbidden fruit. Then his sin nature was established. See, Jesus was born with the second Adam, just like Adam was without sin. Yet Jesus, if Jesus had sinned, he would have been just like Adam. But Jesus lived that perfect life. He lived the Redeemer's life. It could be stated, uh, we thought him to be a leper. So he said, we esteemed him stricken. It could have been said, we thought him to be a leper. Since Miriam was stricken with leprosy due to her part in the children of Israel. Remember, children of Israel, after Moses went to the mountains to get the Ten Commandments, the the people begged and asked for an image, and Miriam told Aaron to build this image for the people. And because of that, God stricken her with leprosy. Numbers 8, 9 through 15 says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. This is after he saw what they were doing. And he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leopardess, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leopardess. Aaron said to Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly. And when we have sinned, let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed, and he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. God said, listen, if I give her leprosy for seven days, if you spit in the face of your daddy, they're going to stick her out of camp for seven days. Surely her blasphemy about God can be as warned of seven days. But the point is, when they use that phrase, stricken, it's the same thing as they were talking about because of the sin they were put out. It says, smitten of God. We viewed him as being judged by God because of his weakness. He was smitten of God. We view him, they viewed him as being judged by God because of his weakness or his humanity. And afflicted. They viewed this affliction as a result of his sin. Yeah, his affliction, his weakness, his humanity was a result of sin. This is the very point as to why they were so wrong, though. Luke 23, 34 says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 1 Corinthians 2, 8, Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, they did not understand that Jesus had to be man. He had to be suffered. He had to be afflicted of God. He had to be those things so that he could be part of our humanity. It is true, afflicted, but not for his sins. He was afflicted, but not for his sins, because he had no sin. Verse 5. All that's in verse 4, folks. we got a few more to go. (laughs) But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. Let's just go through that. He was wounded for our transgressions. Wounded. That's a bodily wound. Not mere mortal mental sorrow. 
It literally means pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is very appropriate for the Messiah, whose hands, feet, and side were pierced. Psalms 22.16 says, For dogs have compassion on me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. See, the psalmist here foretold the very presence of God. Jesus was pierced. His hands and feet nailed to the cross and his side was pierced. Again, very much defining Jesus as who he was. It can also be transformed tormented. He was tormented. So it says, for he was wounded for our transgressions. For, the word for, the cause of his suffering was not his own, but our sins. Transgressions. Transgressions is an act that goes against a law, a rule, or code of conduct, an offense. That's a transgression. This is the breaking of the law, regulations, code of conduct, or offense of God. So the act that goes against it, so transgression is breaking those laws. Romans 4.25 says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. See, it says here, For he was wounded for our transgressions, not his own. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And then again in 1 Peter verse chapter 3, 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So we can see, for he was wounded for our transgressions. It says bruised. The word bruised can be defined as an injury transmitted through unbroken skin to underlying tissue causing rupture of small blood vessels and escaping blood into the tissue with resulting discoloration or contusions. An injury, especially to feelings. So there's two. Well, bruise can be a physical thing. You know, you get a bruise. I've actually got bruises before, and they last a long time. I actually fell off. A, it's ridiculous. I fell off a chair, off the, off a, a ladder. I was working on a, a light fixture, and the light fixture fell out. And when I did, I fell over, and I landed on a chair. We had these knobs up on the chair. <laughs> landed on a chair, and it bruised my side. And I mean, that bruise was big. Went all around to my navel. It was an ugly sight. But that's a bruise. That's an internal bruise that can be seen outwardly. But this also talks about bruising resulting in our feelings. His feelings was bruised. They bruised his feelings, not just as physically. This bruising Jesus experienced was not seen on the outside, but it was felt on the inside when all forsook him. Think about it. 
when Jesus was forsook by everybody. Think about the bruising that he had when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. But if not, thy will be done. He was bruised. He was bruised emotionally for that. He was beaten with stripes, so we know he was bruised internally, physically, but he was bruised emotionally. When he said, Father, Father, why have thou uh, uh, forsaken me? When God turned his back on his son and couldn't look at him anymore, that bruised him. He was bruised for our transgressions. It says the, tra- the, cat- the, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word chastisement, the Bible definition, is the act of scolding or punishing someone. It can also describe physical punishment or a beating. The Latin roots of chastise is chastigate, which means to set or keep right to make pure. Literally, the correction inflicted by a parent on a child for their good. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. God punished him instead of punishing us. God punished the precious Son of God. He chastisement of our peace was upon him. The, the punishment that we deserved, Jesus took upon himself. That's what Isaiah says here. It says upon him as a burden. This chastisement was not for the guilt as with us, but so we could have peace with God through his suffering in our place. The chastisement, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Its next part of the verse says, And with his stripes we were healed. Now stripes, this is the foretelling that Jesus was going to be received beating at his mock trial. Jesus was going to get beaten. So again, this, this chapter here talks about Jesus. And everything that Jesus experienced is here in Isaiah chapter 53. Matthew 27, 36b. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Scourging is beating him with those cat of nine tails. 1 Peter 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. See, Peter uses this passage of Scripture from Isaiah to reference as a reference here when he's talking about Jesus. It says healed. The healing was spiritual healing. Not everyone, folks, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you a secret now. Tell you a secret. We're all going to die. Did you know that? The Bible says it's a point of man wants to die and then the judgment. Oh, but I'm hoping for the rapture. I know. We're all hoping for the rapture. That's the only generation that won't die in this world. The rest will die. Um, in our time, the church age anyway. Psalms 41.4 says, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Heal my soul. See, the healing here that Jesus gives us is the healing of our soul. Satan tries to convince you that you are worthless. You are no count, worthless, scum of the earth, 
that deserves to die and go to hell. Well, I'm telling you what, in a way he's right. But in the eyes of God, we are precious. In the eyes of God, we're so precious that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sacrificed his son. That's how precious we are. Yes, we're filthy, no-count sinners. But Jesus, in the eyes of God, we are precious in his sight. We hear the children sing that song, Jesus Loves the Little Children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Let me tell you something, folks. That is a truth. God doesn't care what color you are. You understand? God does not have a preference. To God, all lives matter. Not being political. Simply saying to God, God doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care whether you're male or female. God doesn't care if you're American, Egyptian, Jew, Muslim from the Muslim countries in Africa. God doesn't care who you are because he loves all of you. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep. All we. This includes everyone. Everyone who has, is, or will live in the world. All we. So you can't say you haven't you haven't gone away, gone astray, because the Bible tells us here that all. It says like sheep. Now, I found a very interesting website that had a good thing on it. It's called Mom's Mom Remade. Uh, it lists nine reasons why God compares us to sheep. I thought they were pretty interesting. I'll share them with you. Sheep have no sense of direction. Number one, they will follow whoever is leading, even if it's off a cliff. In eastern Turkey, uh, while the shepherd left to eat breakfast, 1,500 unattended sheep fell off a cliff. 400 of them died. Why didn't they all? Why didn't the other 1,100 die? Because they were saved, because they landed on this cushy 400 dead sheep. And so they were able to survive. Uh, the sheep in the back couldn't see past the sheep in the front, so they were unaware of what was ahead. And the sheep in the front couldn't stop because the sheep in the back were pushing them forward. People are like sheep. Sheep are defenseless. Two defenses they have. They run together in packs to prevent individual predators from attacking a large group. And they kick. Now, they do not protect, these do not protect the sheep if they're away from the pack. It doesn't do much good to be a, a herd of one. Herd of one. That's why coming to church is important, to build your church family, to work in packs of, a, you know, the a herd. Give your church, your church people can help support you. That's why it's important to be a member of a church. That you know, online is great. You learn a lot of things, but you need to be in the presence of God too, in the presence of His people. I mean, forsake not the assembly together. Forsake not the assembly of yourself together, as a matter of some is. You know, you need to you need to rely upon your church family too when you're hurting. The third thing that sheep do: sheep cannot get up without help. Sheep can't get up without help. Sometimes a sheep will run over on their back. You know, like a cockroach with their legs up in the air. 
This is an old English shepherd term for this. It's called cast down. They were cast down. A cast sheep is actually a pitiful sight. Uh, if the shepherd does not lift up the sheep and put it back on his feet, it'll die. It is utterly helpless to the prey uh, when you're in that position because you can't kick, you can't do anything. You just, you're just, you're laid there. You're like a pig on a skillet, right? Waiting for the enemy to come and attack you. Furthermore, it could get left behind when the flocks moves on because it moved on as a herd, left you behind because you're upside down or laying on your back with your feet in the air. Sheep can't go without, can't get, get up without help. Sheep are emotional and recognize the shepherd's voice. They hear, they know the voice of the shepherd. They'll build, the sheep can build friendship with other sheep and they'll stick up for that sheep when there's fights in the group. This is, uh, people who study animals have seen that. Sheep build relationships with people. They have friendships with other sheep. Sheep are not meant to carry burdens. They can't carry much weight. They're not, you don't see a pack sheep. I got me a pack sheep over here. No, nah, that you ain't got, you're not going to see a sheep carrying anything. <laughs> if they wait on the sheep, she's going to go down and sit down on her legs. They're not going to carry anything. A sheep's not good for carrying anything. They carry no burden. They're meant, not meant to carry burdens. Sheep will settle for less. Dirty water instead of looking for clean water. They drink whatever's available. They stink. A sheep stinks, folks. They will not, they do not know what is good for them or what's bad for them. Now, my granddaughters are doing sheep right now. And I assure you, they comb them out and they they probably wash them to keep them from stinking. But again, they had to have help. Because without help, they stink. They, they don't know what's good and bad for them, so they have to be fed the right things. But that's what they're doing. So that's what the, that's what my granddaughters are doing. Number seven, sheep are valuable. They're prized in Jesus' day. They were prizes. Why? Because they provided meat, they provided milk, and they provided wool for clothing. So sheep were very valuable. They're a valuable commodity. All That's a package deal. Sheep cannot care for themselves when they're wounded. So if uh, an animal, you know, most animals, or a dog or whatever, they get cut, they'll lick their wounds. They keep them from getting infected. I know people say the dog has nasty tongue. Dog will lick the wounds and keep them from getting infected. Uh, Lazarus, they said the dog licked the wounds on the, the sores on Lazarus. I don't know if they were licking the wounds on the Lazarus or licking him for a low no one knew because when he died, he said he died. I'm assuming the dog's hauled off his bones somewhere. But if a sheep gets wounded, they simply will just get worse. They don't lick it. They get worse unless someone else treats them. So if a sheep cuts their leg and it gets infected, they don't care. They're not going to do anything about it. And they die from their infection. And finally, sheep are innocent. you got to admit, a sheep is innocent. You don't see, that's a bad sheep. No, goats, you know, goats are mean. Goats are considered mean. That's why in the Bible days, they had the sheep, they separated the sheep from the goats. The sheep were innocent and the goats were guilty. Goats are always guilty. Goats will do anything. Goats eat, they tend cans, they eat anything, man. They can eat barbed wire. They do. They eat barbed wire. It's amazing. They eat anything. But a sheep, they can't do that. So we see seven of the nine things. Now, the Bible says, back to what our verse said, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. And then we say, 
uh, uh, they've gone astray. Ezekiel 34, 6 says, My flocks wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flocks are scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there is no one to search or seek for them. All we like sheep have gone astray. He says, We have wandered through the mountains on every side. In other words, we're out there wandering around the world looking for God, and God is already there. Jeremiah 56 says, My people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside onto the mountains. They have gone along the mountain to the hill. They have forgotten their resting place. Isn't that how many churches today are preaching that yellow gospel we've talked about before? That means they don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, and so therefore they call it the, the yellow gospel. They become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. Those shepherds will answer to God with many stripes. The next part of it says, We have turned everyone to his own way. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. See, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the last one, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, you see the pitiful shape that humanity is in, according to this verse. The pitiful shape that we're in. And the justification that God has for wiping us off this face of this earth. But then he says, And the Lord hath laid on him, on the Savior, on the servant, on Jesus Christ, laid on him the iniquities of us all. This picture is one of pouring. Only through the shed blood of Jesus can any one of us be seen as clean. All the iniquities had to be laid on him for mankind to ever have hope of redemption for our sins. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It says, laid upon him uh, all of have laid upon him the iniquity of all, and then the last part of it says, uh, well, iniquity. Iniquity is its penalty. Iniquity means he laid upon him the penalty for all our sins. Second Corinthians 5:21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The innocent was punished as if guilty, and the guilt that the guilty might be rewarded as if innocent. Listen to that again. The innocent was punished as if guilty, that the guilty might be rewarded as if innocent. This verse can be said of no mere martyr. No martyr could fill in for this verse. Verse 7. And he was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Oppressed. The verb means to have payment of a debt sternly exacted, and so to be oppressed in general. The extraction of full penalty of our sin and his suffering. He was oppressed to have the payment of debt sternly exacted. That means he didn't easily do it. He, you, he got all of it. 
He got all of the, the cost of sin. It says and he was afflicted. He suffered for this sin as if he himself did it, but he was innocent. He was not guilty. He suffered for the sin that he himself was not guilty of. Yet he opened not his mouth. Despite the pain and the suffering of this Messiah, he never opened his mouth to defend himself. He was silent before his, computer, his accusers, never speaking to offend himself. Mark 15, 3 and 5. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, thou hast many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. See, this verse says, He was oppressed and afflicted, and opened not his mouth. That is Jesus. Second part of verse 7. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so openeth not he his mouth. The prophet repeats this point. The Messiah will suffer without the speaking to defend himself. When Isaiah uses the phrase, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, this didn't mean that Jesus was some helpless victim of circumstances and was helpless as a lamb. No, now remember, Jesus had the power at any time. <laughs> he willingly subdued his power. Even as the suffering death, Jesus was in control. Even when he was suffering in his death, he was in control. John 10, 18 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. John 19, 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Isaiah's point is this, that Jesus was silent, not helpless. He was silent as a lamb, but he wasn't helpless. Spurgeon said it this way, if I were to die for any of you, what would it mount to but that I paid the debt of nature a little sooner than I must ultimately have paid it? For we must all die sooner or later, but the Christ needed not to die at all. So far as he himself was personally concerned, there was no cause within himself why he should go to the cross to lay down his life. He yielded himself up a willing sacrifice for our sins. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. This talks about the travesty of the trial. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Witnesses didn't agree. Pilate himself found no fault in him, yet sentenced him to death. Second part of 8. And who shall declare his generation? There's two thoughts here. No one stood up for him during his trial and crucifixion. No one. Who shall declare his generation? Jesus would die childless. This is one of the worst things any Jewish man could have happened to him. He had no legacy. No one to keep his legacy going. That's what they said. Who shall declare his generation? Verse C, the latter part of verse 8. For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Jesus died without any children. That goes along with this verse. But also it said he had no one, no legacy. We're going to see that's not true. 
This is the first prophecy that the Savior would die, by the way. This is the first one that says he would die. Before he would suffer, <coughs> but not die. Now we see he will be cut off. He will die. There's no mistaking the point. He's to be cut off from the land of the living. If you cut off from the land of the living, that means you're in the land of the dead. Uh, cut off strongly suggests not only a violent, premature death, but also the just judgment of God, not simply the oppressive judgment of men. He will be cut off from the land of the living. The prophet brings the point home again. The servant of the Lord, the Messiah, suffers, but not for himself, but for the transgressions of my people. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse 9. And he made in his grave with the wicked. Now this is just awesome. He made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in him. It says he made his grave with the wicked. Jesus died, prophesied, Isaiah 53 prophesied that Jesus would die in the company of the wicked. Luke 22, 32-33. And there was also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now it was the intention of these people that had him crucified that they would cast him into a common grave of the wicked. Right? He died with the wicked and we're going to put him in those fire heat. A lot of times they just threw him on a fire heat and burned him. But it says he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Despite the intentions of other people, God allowed the Messiah to be buried in the, as, as a rich person. He was buried in the tomb of the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea. It says, why? Because he had done no violence. Neither was any seat in his mouth. This line is important, folks. It shows that even in his death, even in his taking the transgression of God's people, the Messiah never sinned. He remained the Holy One despite all the pain and the suffering. As a recognition of that, he was buried with the rich at his death. Remember, they came to uh, uh, Pilate and said, look, can we take the body of Jesus? The rich man, Joseph Arimathea, can, said, can I take the body of Jesus? He's already dead. And so he allowed them to do it. Why did he allow them to do it? Because he knew he was innocent. He was an innocent man. Therefore, he allowed him to do that. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to, pru to bruise him. It lose my, 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 my finger here is kicked in for some reason. Uh, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was innocent. But it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah states gloriously and emphatically that the suffering of the servant of the Lord was ordained by the Lord. Man did not choose this for him. God chose this for this one. It was even for his pleasure, it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise his son. He had put and he loved his son, and his son loves the father. So why did it please God to bruise his son? It says he had put him to grief. This was God's doing. He put him to grief. Jesus was no victim of circumstances or the mercy of the political or military powers as they thought it was. It was the plan, ordained work of the Lord God prophesied 
by Isaiah hundreds of years before it happened. This was God's victory, not Satan or man's triumph, not, not Satan's or man's triumphs. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit, that God it was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The Father and Son worked together at the cross. Though Jesus was treated as if he were an enemy of God, he was not. Even as Jesus was punished as if he were a sinner, he was performing the most holy service unto God the Father ever offered. This is why Isaiah can say, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In and of itself, the suffering of the Son did not please the Father, of course. But since it accomplished the work of reconciling the world to himself, it completely pleased the Father. This was something God was pleased with. You know, we saw when he was baptized, he says, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Well, no doubt, with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he was well pleased. God the Father could not have been more proud of his Son. When they shall take, it says, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. When thou. These switches over from the Lord's servant, Jesus, to Jehovah. Now, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, the thou here being Jehovah, when Jehovah shall make his soul an offering for sin, this is God himself being held responsible for this action. It says, shall make his soul an offering for sin. This was God's plan. We go back to it again. This will be the ultimate sacrifice for man's sin. The last part of 10, verse 10. He shall see his seed... He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The death, burial, and offering of the Messiah does not end the story. See, he lives on. He lives to see his seed, his spiritual descendants. He didn't have any children. Yes, he did. If you follow him, if you pick up your cross and follow him, you are his children. You're his brethren. You're joint heirs with him. You're his descendant. You are his uh, 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 his his um, heritage. His, he lives to see his seed. He shall prolong his days and not be under the curse of death. See, the Savior was not under the curse of death. His days are prolonged. In other words, it, there's no end. It says his life. He lives after his death and burial was is glorious. Yes, he suffered there and died, but now he's in glory. His life shall be lived prospering in the pleasure of the Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. Verse 11. He shall see the travels of his soul and shall be satisfied. The Messiah will look upon his work, the work that he did, the sacrificing that he did, look upon his work with a full view of the travail of his soul, the suffering and in the end, he will be satisfied. Jesus has no regrets. The Messiah would have no regrets on what he did. Every bit of suffering and agonizing was worth it and brought about a satisfactory result. I'm going to go into verse 11b. It's not in the Sunday school lesson because I don't think you can leave it behind. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It is in knowing the Messiah in both who he is 
what he has done that makes us justified before God. Now, as we're in this Easter season, the Resurrection Sunday, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He came to the earth with a plan. His plan was defined in Isaiah chapter 53, hundreds and hundreds of years before he came. And he met and lived up to every single thing. He died on the cross for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. And God was pleased that his son was willing to die for our sins. And he was satisfied that his blood satisfied everyone who would believe. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's only possible because what Jesus did for us on the cross, Isaiah 53 foretold it and Jesus lived it. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this powerful message today, for this powerful Sunday school lesson. I pray, Lord, that we can now face an understanding of the Savior, of what you did for our sins, what you did for our lives. Lord, what you, that this was no accident, but a plan, a divine plan executed to the letter. And because of that, we can have eternal life. As we face this Resurrection Sunday Lord, we realize you were the first resurrection. But praise God, because of your son, you're not not the last resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We thank you for your time. We thank you for your attention. Remember, if you have an opportunity to go to church tomorrow for sunrise service early at your church, try to show up. If not, come to service tomorrow. If you're going to Branch Chapel, remember we're early in the morning and uh, then stay with us at the end of the day. Thank you much for your attendance, and I look forward to seeing you next time.